بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله and welcome to this podcast series of a commentary on نهج البلاغة by Mizan Institute والناس في فتن انجذم فيها حبل الدين وتزعزعت سوار اليقين واختلف النجر وتشتت الأمر وضاق المخرج وعمي المصدر After bringing up the Holy Prophet in this part of the khutbah the Imam moves on to explain how big a deal it was, how great a job it was, what the Prophet did. And to do that, one of the best ways is to show and to give us an account of how things were before the Prophet came. In other words, to tell us about the Jahiliyyah times, those pre-Islamic times of ignorance that the people were suffering from. If you are, If you want to explain something, sometimes the best way to explain it is to explain the opposite of it. And then the people will get a good idea of what that thing actually is or how great that thing was. And so here, the Imam Ali salam does the same thing. And so he lists, according to some, up to 30 things that he talks about uh, in regards to the Jahiliyyah times, those times of pre-Islamic ignorance. He says that in that time, the people were suffering from vices. They were in a bunch of fitnas. A bunch of hard times, bad times, times that are really testing you and pushing you to the limits. And uh, of course, in this context, it's not talking about physical hardship necessarily. All in all, it's talking about more of a spiritual slash uh, one that has is related to religion type of hardship. Because he goes on to say, to say in jadama fiha habluddin, these fitnas, these problematic times, these vices, these troubles. That the people were in, they were the type in which in fiha habluddin the rope of religion was unraveled. So now here it says in jadama, in jadama and judam, they come from the same root. Judam and leprosy is that illness that one has in their flesh or skin, and if I'm not mistaken, it's as if this flesh it reaches a point where you lose your limbs, even from what I read, and. Uh, Sometimes it's as if you know your flesh is is just opening up and that fabric of the flesh is being destroyed. And so here also when it says the rope of religion was in jadama, it's as if it's judami. It's as if just like a person who has leprosy, they start losing things or they, their limbs get cut off or fall off or whatever it is. Same thing with the rope of religion. It was being cut off completely. And what is interesting here, it says Habluddin, the rope of religion. As we all know, religion has a lot of different aspects to it. But here, it doesn't bring it in the plural form. It says Habluddin, which is singular, the rope of religion. And some have explained that what the reason for this being a um, in singular form is that, look, this is speaking of religion in general, and that part of religion that has to do with our fitra and nature which is the Tawheed of God and those basic things, those basic teachings that you will find as the underlying foundations of all religions and faiths, of course, Abrahamic ones. So Prophet Ibrahim comes with the same message. Prophet Musa, Isa, Nuh, Muhammad they all come with the same Habluddin, the same message, the same underlying message that um, the Imam is speaking of here. True that their Shari'as might be different. Their laws might be different, and uh, but no one ever says that. Yeah, Prophet Musa's religion had different beliefs 
than Prophet Isa's religion, than Prophet Muhammad sallallahu religion. No one says that. The aqaid and beliefs are always the same. The laws might change, the practices and rituals might change, and so on. But yeah, you will never hear that Prophet Adam's God was different than Prophet Nuh's God. Or Prophet Nuh's God was had certain attributes that Prophet Isa's God doesn't have. No, no, it's, you never have that. They're all... They all have a rope that ties the, these beads, so to speak, of a rosary together. It's as if these different religions are different beads of a rosary that uh, are connected through one rope. That is that underlying aqidah and aqaid that they share. Okay, so now here, same thing. It says, look, it wasn't just that you know certain aspects of religion were, were messed up. No, no, the rope of religion itself had unraveled and had been broken. The pillars of conviction and yaqeen were shaken, like hard. People's faith back then was very, very shaky. To the point that people didn't have yaqeen in anything anymore, conviction in anything anymore. And we have to understand, yaqeen is a huge blessing that if we are deprived of, sometimes can lead to our lives having no meaning at all. Yaqeen has a lot of value. Even Islamically, even in our fiqh, you will find that yaqeen is very important. Yaqeen is something to cherish and to preserve. If a person, for example, has wudu, and they have yaqeen that they have wudu, they're sure that they made wudu. Uh, two hours later, they're like, wait a minute, did I did my wudu break or not? If they're not sure, that doubt is not enough to, t- to knock out the previous yaqeen that they had. And they have to continue with that yaqeen that they had until another yaqeen and conviction comes and uh, puts the first yaqeen aside. So for example, I know I had wudu. Two hours later, I went to the bathroom, let's say. Now I have yaqeen and certainty that I don't have wudu anymore. Okay, this yaqeen overrides the previous yaqeen. But if I am not sure if I did something that invalidates my wudu, and I have doubt that I have wudu right now, doubt cannot overcome yaqeen, and you're supposed to stick to the previous yaqeen that you had. This is a simple fiqhi matter. Just illustrating for us how valuable yaqeen is let alone yaqeen in our aqaid and beliefs those if they go if those are shaken then life will lose meaning and purpose for a person unless a person just puts a religion aside completely and just believes that we're here for a few years in this life and after this we will be destroyed and will cease to exist completely then that's a different story the people back then they didn't have faith in anything anymore they had no conviction in anything everything was just blurry and one can say that especially since they didn't believe in the Akhirah, because they had been cut off in, uh, from the teachings of previous prophets, that a lack of belief in resurrection and Qiyamah and all of that had just taken away everything from these people. And so they're just living their lives like robots and zombies as if, without any purpose in life. So the Imam already, like, we feel like there's a lot of darkness in those times. But he just keeps going on. He says, وَاخْتَلَفَ najr Najr means the root of something. اِخْتَلَفَ najr The roots were deviated. So once again, sometimes you have certain beliefs that are your core beliefs. They're the underlying beliefs of everything. They're the root of everything else. And sometimes you have some, it's as if branches of a tree, not the roots of a tree. The branches, if anything happens to them, it's fine as long as the roots are intact. But if the roots are deviated, if the roots are problematic, then we have an issue here. And so here the Imam says, اختلف najr, that the roots were problematic. 
not just the branches of things. And so this shows us how bad a situation it was back then because it wasn't just the outward or the superficial aspect of religion that had become problematic. All in all, the root of religion, the roots of the religion that are deeply, even one can say some of them are deeply um, instilled in us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even those had just gone wrong. They had become so problematic that the people don't know what they're doing anymore. And so one can say that this ikhtalaf al-najr here is trying to let us know that the problem was a very deep and profound one. Not just a superficial one that can be resolved after a short period of time, giving it some attention. You know, just like how we take care of the bushes around our house. Sometimes you just want to trim the bushes. Okay, that's no, no big deal. Sometimes you want to get rid of those bushes. Then you have to uproot them. The roots are the problem, not just, not just the branches. That requires a lot of energy, a lot of uh, dedication and time to eventually figure out. These people had reached the point where they were committing polytheism and worshipping other than Allah. That is a problem at the root, at the core. These people had reached the point where they disliked the good and liked the vices and bad and evil. Yeah, Everything was mixed up. Everything was confused. Every aspect of life, you can say, was confused. Social matters, Matters that had to do with the culture of that time, things that had to do with uh, the family, with ec- economy, akhlaq, and and just basic um, demeanor, everything which had just gone down the drain. Everything was so confused and blurry, and it's just like our times now. People are questioning things now that for thousands of years no one had any questions about. Things are being changed in a way that. If a person of 20 years ago was to see, they'd be like, what is going on? Orientations, you know, the way people see themselves, the way they look at the world, it's just all over the place. So much confusion. It's saying that that time also was a jahiliyyah time, during the Prophet, before the Prophet's time, or before Islam's time. That everything was just so confused and unclear. And so that because everything was so bad and the situation was so dire, the Imam says that, وَضَاقَ uh, المخرج. That the makhraj, the way out of things, was just too tight. Sometimes you want to get out of somewhere, it's just too narrow for you to get out. You see the light, you want to get out, but you can't. These people, the, 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 the opening through which they're supposed to go and get out of here, out of this bala that they're in, is so tight that they can't fit, they can't get out. Sometimes you know the way out, but it's too tight for you to get out. Sometimes, no, you don't even know where to go. <laughs> it's not even about, uh, you know, I know that I have to get, go through this door, but this door is too tight for me. No, it's it's about which door am I going to, where, where, what's going to get me out of here? Which door is going to get me out? It's like 40 doors, which one am I supposed to take? And each of them that I take, there's a chance that it leads to my destruction. Which one am I supposed to take? And so that's where the Imam says, masdar, You know which way to go probably, but it's just you just can't. Or you you don't even know which way to go. Masdar, the, that, that point that you have to start your journey out of this bala and hardship from, you don't even know what that point is. That starting point for you to leave is amiya. Amiya means to be blind. It's just not clear. You don't even know which way to go. فَالْهُدَى خَامِلْ وَالْعَمَى شَامِلْ عُسِيَ الرَّحْمَانِ وَنُسِرَ الشَّيْطَانِ وَخُذِلَ الْإِيمَانِ And so, as a result of all of this, uh, 
guidance, the light, the path, this was something that had become worthless and forgotten. You know, just like once again, I mean, it reminds us of our times today. And I guess this is something that you'll find throughout the ages. It's not just like our times today are like this. Apparently, it's just always been the case. Mankind moves in this direction, unfortunately, against their nature that Allah has created them with, their fitrah that Allah has put in them, because they keep losing in the battle and struggle they have against the desires of the self. And as a result, everything is destroyed. Everything is covered by darkness. Here it says, فَالْهُدَى خَامِلْ As a result of all of this, guidance, light, the path, was worthless and forgotten. You know, it's, it's very problematic when the culture dictates that guidance is worthless. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's, it's something personal, you're not interested. But the environment, the culture, the people, they're still after that. Sometimes, no, they're not even after that anymore. All in all, the culture deems religion, deems the path, light, guidance as worthless. And it'll be forgotten as a result. Okay, well, when there's no guidance, when there's no light, what happens? Well, blindness prevails. Blindness had prevailed. The Rahman, the All-Merciful, the Beneficent, however you want to translate Rahman, but what's for sure is that it has to do with Allah's grace and mercy. That Rahman, that God who is Rahman, that God who is the All-Merciful, the All-Caring, He was disobeyed and sinned against. Now what really stands out in this part um, is that it, out of all the names of God that could have been mentioned, the Rahman is mentioned for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, the reason is pretty obvious in my opinion, and uh, others have also pointed this out, that out of all of the names of Allah, of course we understand that maybe the most encompassing name of Allah or quality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is His Rahmaniyyah. The all-encompassing in the sense that it encompasses all of creation. It's a kind of a long discussion. We don't want to get into right now. But um, they have said, in a nutshell, I'll say this much, that the difference between Rahim and Rahman is that Rahim is a special mercy of Allah that Allah has that makes him Rahim that only applies to certain individuals, certain people. And those are the ones who are on the path of guidance, those who believe, the believers they get a special mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the Rahman is the one whose mercy encompasses all of creation, no matter what they are, what path they're on, what form of creation they are, it doesn't matter. His all-encompassing mercy that is engulfing everything. So the most general, I would say, name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that encompasses all of creation in mercy is His Rahmaniyyah. Him being the Rahman. So here, when it says, Usiyar Rahman, the Rahman was being disobeyed and sinned against. The point it's trying to make, it seems, is that, uh, that this God that is all caring for everything out there and has done everything for everything out there was the one that they were disobeying. You don't disobey the one who goes out of their way for you. The one who cares the most for you. In this case being Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Rahman. And this isn't the only place you'll see this. You'll find this in the Qur'an as well. Sometimes Allah is referred to as the Rahman that the disbelievers would disbelieve in. For yakfuruna bil Rahman, we'll have this term uh, more than once. Kufr to the Rahman. And it's kind of calling these people out that how could you disbelieve the one who is the most caring for you? 
the one who has the most mercy towards everything. And so Imam Ali here also probably taking inspiration from the Quran. He says, Usiya Rahman. Alright, so guidance worthless, forgotten. Blindness prevalent. Out of all the ones that you would disobey, you disobey Allah the Rahman. The worst the worst thing you could do. Because you're disobeying the one who deserves it the least. shaytan. But who do you help? Who was aided? Who was aided in that time? The one who does not deserve it at all. Who is that? Shaytan. The, prob- the most problematic one. The one who was awwalul asin. The first of those who disbelieved, or not disbelieved, let's say here. Asin means disobeyed. The first of the ones who disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when we disobey Allah, what are we automatically doing? We are obeying shaitan. And when we're obeying him, in other words, we're, we're helping him, we're aiding him. In what? In his mission. His mission, his ultimate goal is the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said this himself to Allah that, ajma'in. I will misguide all of them. That is my goal. Like that's his own purpose. That's his whole purpose in, the, in his existence right now is that I want to push the people towards misguidance. Alright, when we disobey Allah, what happens? As a result, who have we helped? Whose mission have we pushed forward? Shaitan's. وَنُسِرَ الشَّيْطَانَ وَخُذِلَ iman. As a result of all of this, iman and faith was forsaken. When you disobey Allah, when you aid shaitan, that means you're going against the grain in everything. You're going against the natural flow of everything. And so as a result of that, faith, which is the exact opposite, faith which is that which is in line with the natural process of things, the natural flow and direction of things, you have gone against that iman and you have forsaken it as a result. فَانْهَارَتْ دَعَائِمُهُ وَتَنَكَّرَتْ مَعَالِمُهُ وَدَرَسَتْ سُبُلُهُ وَعَفَتْ شُرُكُهُ as a result of all of this, uh, the imam here, I, I would say, kind of sounds very sad, or at least the wording is very sad. As a result of all of this, the pillars of faith collapsed. This is very sad. Because of all the jahiliyyah and ignorance pre-Islam, eventually what happened was that the pillars of faith collapsed. وَتَنَكَّرَتْ مَعَالِمُهُ The teachings um, of the faith, they remained unknown. All of these teachings of previous prophets of God that came, made sacrifices, went through so much hardship, the people that followed them, all of that, of course they got their rewards for it, they got their Jannah for it, but they also had the goal in mind of later and ensuing generations to also benefit from these teachings to secure their afterlives. But unfortunately, tanakkarat, these were all forgotten. They became, tanakkarat means, I mean, they'll say they're unknown, forgotten, or even worse, they become munkar. They're things that are looked down upon, frowned upon. Anyway, وَدَرَسَتْ سُبُلُهُ وَعَفَتْ شُرُكُهُ These two lines here, they kind of have the same meaning. There's only a diff- little difference in the um, the words that are used here. All in all, and these two lines are talking about the roads um, that lead to the ultimate destination of guidance, of Jannah, and so on. Uh, the roads and paths of guidance. But one says shuruk, and the other says subul. So subul means pathways. Darasat subulu. The subul of faith were decayed. Darasat. 
Subul, as I said, means pathway. But when you compare Subul to Shuruk, Shuruk will mean those main roads. And so the main roads of faith were destroyed and the pathways of faith of the faith were also destroyed and decayed. So the difference between these two though is important because they have said that sometimes, you know, those smaller alleys and, and streets and pathways, um, you might not have access to them. They might be blurred and forgotten. People won't know the way. But at the end of the day, if the main roads of an, of a region are, are intact, people can still make their way around. People can still eventually find their destination. Think about it. You There are like three or four highways where you live. These highways go and they, they different roads break off from them. And then these roads become little streets and neighborhoods and all of that. Okay, well, if, if you know, if you have a good idea of where you are based on the main roads and highways, you might be able to find the house that you're trying to go to. Yeah, you might spend a little more time to find it because if you don't have the street number, the street name and all of that, but all in all, if you know what the house kind of looks like, you might be able to find your way back to the place you're trying to go. But if the main roads and highways aren't even there anymore, then you have no idea where you're going. And so here it's saying, and it's echoing what you know what was said previously in the beginning of, the, of this part of the sermon that we discussed in this session. But here it's saying that... Um, not only were these pathways, these streets and alleys decayed that lead you to the destination of faith and akhirah and hereafter, but even the main roads were destroyed. That means it's total misguidance. And that is very scary. And so in the beginning also, the imam kept pointing out that this was not just a superficial problem, problem that we had with the religion. It was a deep one. It had to do with the roots had to do with the foundations. There was no yaqeen anymore. Things like that. Yaqeen and the pillars of yaqeen were shaken. Here, he's kind of repeating that in another way. He's saying that the main roads were all destroyed. Forget about those little pathways and streets and alleys. I mean, it just gets scarier and scarier. If you were to make a movie out of this, um, it would be a horror movie. <laughs> um, but of course, because it has to do with the Akhirah, and you don't see the ugliness of it, yeah, because we just see what's happening on this side, it might not come off as very horrific to some of us. But when you actually look at these words that are being used, and the way the Imam is describing the misguidance and darkness, if we really had an idea of how the Akhirah is, these words that we are reading right now are very scary because they translate into horror on the Day of Judgment. And we'll get to that. There's a verse that really um, that uh, is very scary. We'll get to that in the end of how, of how bad a shape the people of that time were in. The Quran talks about it. Anyway, الشيطان, These people now, they are obedient to shaitan. They follow his footsteps. And they take his path. And the Quran talks about this as well. It says, don't, don't put your feet in the same footsteps and footprints of shaitan. Don't follow his footsteps. Ya amanu, la shaytan, shaytan, munkar. Surah Nur verse 21. O, o you who believe, don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. 
And whoever does that just should keep in mind that shaitan pushes us towards indecency and towards wrong. So following his footsteps equals indecency and wrong. But these people, that's what they did. This one's interesting. Manahil is the plural for, I would say, water hole or a place that you drink water from. And so if you've seen in these um, these documentaries, these um, National Geographic documentaries that they make, for example, of animals, when they reach a water hole, what do they do? When they rush towards the water, they are really drinking as fast as they can and they, they really need to drink that water. It's because their life depends on this water and they're really thirsty, right? And so it says, here. It means the people, it's as if they're thirsty, they need water, they need a source of life. And so they make it to a water hole. But this water hole, whose water hole is it? It's the water hole of shaitan. And so instead of drinking a pure water that gives you life, they are rushing to drink from this poisonous water, this toxic water, that is just going to destroy them more. Why? Because they followed the shaitan's footsteps. Do you think shaitan is going to move towards good or towards poison? Of course towards poison. So when you follow his footsteps, you end up reaching a water hole. That is not just pure water. What is it? It is toxic and poisonous. And through these people who obeyed shaitan and eventually went to that water hole and they got whatever they got from that source, his flags and standards were raised by these people. The standards of shaitan. His flag stood up tall because of these people. In other words, I want to conclude from this part. Look, we a shaitan cannot lift his own flag up. In this world, he can only try to get others to do it for him. Some will fail their tests and will become one of his awliya, one of his lovers and followers, and they're the ones who raise his flag, or else his flag is always going to be on the ground. No one could, People could care less about it. But when others lift it up, that's when he has an army. The Quran uh, does point this out. Surah An'am verse 121. It says, That look, the shayateen, the devils, these problematic shayateen, what they do is they reveal to their awliya, to those people who are their walis, who are their friends, you can reach a point, brothers and sisters, that the one you take inspiration from and revelation from shaitan, yes, you can reach that point where there's enough compatibility that he can kind of tell you what to do and what not to do. You are the one carrying his flag and you are his standard bearer now in this in this battlefield of life that, we, that we're in right now in which there's a constant struggle between good and bad. So this is how bad the situation is. This is a huge fitna that the people are in in pre-Islamic Jahiliya times. The people, because of all of the above now, because of the situation that they're in, the troublesome times that they're in, they failed all of their tests and they allowed these times that they were in, these vices that they were in, to get the best of them and destroy them. And so here the Imam, he likens those times to 
different animals like camels, like horses and cows and cattle, under which a person is trampled and crushed. And so it says that these people were trampled by the feet of these fitnas, the akhfaf. And akhfaf is the plural of khuf, which they say is the feet of the camel. So the camel is very strong, and if you fall under its feet, it'll crush you, it'll trample you. And so it says that these people were trampled by its feet. The feet of this camel of fitna of the times they were in. They were, it's as if they were crushed under the hooves of the uh, and treaded over by the hooves of cattle. And we've all seen probably here or there little clips of people who um, practice the usually unacceptable practice of bullfighting. And so sometimes they get in trouble, they fall under that bull. The bull smashes them to smithereens if it can under its hooves. These fitnas, these times that these trouble, sometimes that the people were in the mistakes they were making, the, the tests they were failing, all of that, eventually the, these fitnas got the best of them and crushed them under their hooves, just like cattle do. And so then these fitnas, when they are able to to crush you and stand on you, the Imam says, قَامَتْ عَلَى سَنَابِكِهَا, عَلَى سَنَابِكِهَا. These fitnas stand tall and proudly over you because they've crushed you under their feet. And so like horses, they are standing on the people now. قَامَتْ these fitnas now are standing on their own feet just like the hooves of the horses when they're standing but they're standing on the people that's how I see it in other words it's as if you have a horse you have a camel you have a cow a bull that is standing and you're standing there too you let this animal crush you under its feet now it's standing up tall and he's the only one standing now you're you're no longer there where are you? you're on the ground you're under its feet. You're crushed. Before this, there was two of you. Yes, this uh, this camel, this horse couldn't stand tall and proud. But once it crushes you under its feet, it can stand on you. Now it can stand tall on its own hooves. And that is that is a very powerful, I would say, illustration of or metaphor of what was going on in that time. فَهُمْ فِيهَا تَائِهُونَ حَائِرُونَ جَاهِلُونَ مَفْتُونُونَ So these people, the Imam says, they were... Now they're lost and wandering in these fitnas. Ta'ihun comes from tih. And uh, this is a, it's a sad word. <laughs> when you are totally lost and just wandering, kind of purposely, purposelessly as if. Ha'irun comes from hira, which is bewilderment. You're lost, you're bewildered. You might not even know why you're lost or what you're looking for even. Total bewilderment. Jahilun, ignorant. That means that they don't even know what they're supposed to do to get get themselves out of this situation. Maftunun, totally fooled and deceived. By what? By taking that which is going to pass, that which is temporary and short-lived, by taking that and being fooled into thinking that that's everything. As like the same way a person will take a mirage as reality, to take the life here as an eternal and infinite one. And to think that the short-lived pleasures of, of here are going to are what secure and guarantee our ultimate felicity and pleasures, which is not the case at all. It's all a mirage as if if a person looks at this life in this way, it's it's nothing but a mirage. Now sometimes the people you know, they're not in the right place at the right time. And so as a result, these things happen to them. 
These people though, they were fi darin. They were in the best of abodes and places, which is Mecca. It's not just that the Mecca was uh, important during the time of the Prophet All previous Prophets, all the way to Prophet Adam's time. Yes, the narrations tell us that uh, the Kaaba was there from the beginning. Mecca was holy from the beginning, Prophet Adam's time. And how it was, uh, during the flood of Nuh, it was, the Kaaba was either damaged or destroyed, and then later prophets came like Ibrahim, and they and they rebuilt the Kaaba. And so these people, they have no excuse. They are in the best of places. This is where all the prophets, these these regions are where the prophets would come and go. Fi dar, but the worst of inhabitants and neighbors. So these people, they're in the best of places, but the, they are the worst of inhabitants. They are the worst of neighbors to this place. Because they have not followed the proper teachings, their lives are stripped of any barakah, of any good, and so all you'll have now is conflict, fighting, war, burning of, li- of the lives of people. And so these people, they're always looking over their shoulder. Even if when they're if they're sleeping, they're always worried. What if we're ambushed? What if we're attacked? What if this happens? What if that happens? All of the division, all of the animosity. The prophet came and fixed all of this. The prophet came and brought the hearts together to the point where people weren't didn't have to worry about these things anymore. But in those times of jahiliyyah, pre-Islamic ignorance, their naum, their sleep, was in reality suhud. Their their instead of their sleep being something that gives them calm and tranquility. What is suhud? What does that? Uh, excuse me. What does that uh, sleep bring them? It brings them lack of sleep, lack of calm and tranquility. Kohl is that traditional eyeliner, whatever it is that they put in their eyes as a zina, as a beautification of the eyes. Right. These people, instead of being able to beautify their eyes with real kohl. What's happening is, it's as if, it's, now it's speaking metaphorically here, they had beautified their eyes with tears. In other words, tears were always coming out of their eyes. Why? Because, of course, they are weeping over the lo- loved ones they have lost. And the likes of that, the different tragedies that befall them. As a result of all the wrong that they're doing. All the division, all the fighting and animosity, as I said. And so, these eyes are always full of tears because there's always tragedies that are befalling them. Bi'ardin, and this is the last part here that we have. And uh, I would say that in our times today, we kind of are getting a feel of this as well. Bi'ardin, in a place where alimuha muljam wa jahiluha mukram. I mean, when I read this, it straight up reminds me of, you know, times that we're in right now. And as I said before, it's probably all the time, you know, but we're just noticing it now, I guess, because there's more social media out there, because people have more of a platform, an opportunity to talk without any accountability whatsoever. So it's saying that these people were in a place where, and this is the prevalent culture that they're in, it says here, in a place, a region, a land that is such. I would say that here land might even just mean a culture okay, that is prevalent in a land. Um, but all in all, I think the message is clear. That the culture was that alimuha that those who are people of knowledge, 
they are bridled, just like a horse is bridled and has to only move in certain ways, can't do what it needs to do. When, the, when you attach the reins to the bridle of a horse, you can control it. And it is restricted. It can't do anything it wants anymore, what it needs to do. The ulama and the knowledgeable ones, they were bridled. They can't talk. They have to keep their mouths shut. They're restricted. They can't do what they need to do for the people. وَجَاهِلُهَا mukram, A place where the alims are bridled and the jahils and the ignorant ones are the ones who are honored, looked up to. They're the role models. They're the examples our kids can follow. Yeah. Just like our times, brothers and sisters, where everything's flipping. The values are flipping. You'll find that the most ignorant of people are the ones that are to be followed now. The most ignorant of people are the ones that are uh, the most famous ones. The ones looked up to. The ones that everyone wants to be like. And the ones who have knowledge, they're the ones who are told to shut their mouths. They're the ones who are shut up and put aside and dismissed and marginalized. Yeah, these are the times that we're in right now as well. But as I said, this is probably the case all the time. That is just the nature. That's just how mankind is. Mankind wants the easy way out, wants the way out where they won't, it won't require too much work, too much research, too much knowledge. It's always been the case. And so, as I said before, <clears throat> the verse that really, I would say, sums everything up that the Imam spoke of and how dark of a picture he painted for us of the pre-Islamic ignorance, times of ignorance and jahiliyyah, the verse that rem- this all of this reminds me of is Surah Ali Imran, verse 103. That says, That all of you cling to the rope of Allah altogether and don't divide from it. And remember that blessing that Allah gave you when you were all enemies. When you were all enemies, but he brought your hearts together. And as a result of his blessing, you all became brothers. Alright, so this is Islam, what Islam did for us. But this is the part that's scary now. Then you were all on the brink of a pit of fire. Now there might be different interpretations for this. A pit of fire of, you know, just fighting and war in this life? Or no, even in the hereafter, fire of the hellfire. A pit of fire of the hell, the hellfire, the pit of hellfire. That you were living your lives such that if you were to pass away before this prophet, destination for you would have been the pit of hellfire. Or a pit of fire in the hellfire. And so this is the very scary part. You're walking on the edge of a fire that will burn you in and out in all of your existence. But the Prophet comes and he flips all of this over. And he changes it for the better. And saves you from that. And he saved you from that. Allah saved you through his Prophet from that pit of fire that you were on the brink of. You were walking on the edge of. The Imam here, he illustrates the Jahiliya times for us. As I said, it seems to show us how great a job the Prophet did, how significant what he did was, so that we appreciate him more. Then the Imam moves on to speak about the family of this Prophet, the Alun Nabi, inshallah in our next episode. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Thank you.